Welcome to Church on the Rock. We are so happy that you guys are here worshiping with us this morning. So the scripture we have is Psalms 18, verse 2, and it says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. I call on the Lord who is worthy of praise, and He saved me from my enemies. And isn't it comforting to think that the Lord still saves us from our enemies, that He is still and will always be our shield and our protection. Amen. The head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. The Savior knelt to wash our feet. Now at his feet we bow. The one who wore our sin and shame, now robed in Now shines for all to see. 
Your name, your name, he speaks. 
praise this morning. He is worthy of all our praise. Amen. We bless your name, Jesus. You're worthy, Lord. we just stand in your presence and we say you are our heart's desire and we ask you to breathe on us today 
Give us fresh strength. Give us fresh courage. Give us fresh hope. Lord, breathe on us today. We're going to take time in the middle of our worship, and we're going to call our prayer team down to the front, and we will pray with you about anything that you have need for prayer. But when I was praying about the services this weekend, we were reading in Romans 12. And verse 12, when I read this on Friday, I stopped and paused. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. The Message Bible says, don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. And this was the word of the Lord to you today. Don't quit praying. Be patient because God is not slow in keeping his promises. God will answer your prayer. God hears your prayer, and you just need to keep praying, keep standing, be patient, and see God move on your behalf. We're going to call our prayer team down at the front. And if this is you, that you're going through a difficult time and you're thinking God's not hearing you, the word of the Lord is come, receive prayer because miracles happen when Christians pray together. We're going to see miracles happen. We invite you to come forward for whatever you have need of as we continue our worship. Thank you. 
Amen. Come on, somebody give him a hand clap of praise today. He's worthy. And why don't you turn around to do three people, tell him a happy hour to see him in the house of the Lord this morning. Welcome to Church on the Rock. We're so happy you're here worshiping with us today. In the chair back in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you are a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop it in the offering, or you can take it across the hall to the Connect Room where you will receive a free gift bag. Don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. So glad you're here, and we hope you know that there's always a place for you at Church on the Rock. Here's what's happening at Church on the Rock. Matthew 2, 2, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
Romans 6, verse 23. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And all these three things you need. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You know, you can change a lot with just 46 characters. For example, you can change where you live. Or you can change your relationship status. Fellas, we do not recommend proposing via text message. You could also change your career, change your vehicle, or you could change just about anything. But maybe this week, you could use 46 characters to change someone's life. Think about it, pray about it, and use your 46 characters for a change. Everybody doing good? Glad to be in the house of the Lord. Hey, we're going to pray for those going back to school. So if you're a high schooler not up here, junior high, grade school, if you're in college, if you're a teacher, administrator, come on up so we can cover you with prayer before school starts. So let's come on up. Ushers are coming right now. They're going to hand out invites. As that bucket goes by, grab a pack of invites because I'm telling you, that little card, that little invite could mean the difference somebody going to heaven or hell and them coming to church. And there's a lot of people in added to church because of that. And there's a bunch of people continue to come. We'll squeeze you up here on the stage. But also a reminder, we're getting pretty full on this second service. A couple ways you could help is if you want to come Saturday night or Sunday morning, that'll make up room and free your time up. Also pray for our Imagine More campaign. And the other thing you can do is when you notice people coming in, just start to slide to the middle and make room for some other people. I know we all have our favorite seats, but we want to make room for more people. And our church is excited as we're gearing up to enter into the fall. Our powerhouse youth ministry has a tons of opportunities for your students to get involved. We have groups specifically designed for both ages, whether they're in junior high or high school, so they have an opportunity to get in a small group setting of discipleship. We have a Christian group going on in almost every school in town, which that is a big deal. Uh, we have a leadership class that's going to get started here in just a matter of weeks when classes start, and all of that is separate from our normal Wednesday night service that happens every 
week in Powerhouse at 645. So we would love, if you would encourage your students just to come and connect and get involved in our ministry and our heart cries that these students, when they walk out of our groups and our ministry, that they would have a personal relationship with God. And that's something that can change a life. And so uh, we really, uh, and also if you want a little more information, you can connect with us on our Facebook, Instagram, or Snapchat. And you can also check out our webpage at powerhousetnt.com. Yeah, and I'm Bethany. I'm the Kids Zone Elementary Director, and we have some awesome things happening this fall. And during our Wednesday night program, our regular Kids Zone program, we're going to be teaching the kids how to connect to God, friends, ministry in the world through large group and small group settings. They're going to be engaged in worship and games and activities, everything on their level. And then also you saw the video of the kid saying scripture after scripture. That's called JBQ. If you want your kid to be involved in junior Bible quiz, then go upstairs, sign them up, because what an incredible way to train your kid than to do it in a fun way where they're getting to learn the Word of God. We also have our J Crew Leadership Program on Wednesday nights for our 4th through 8th grade. If you want your kid to grow in their leadership skills, I encourage you, get them involved in that. We also, on our weekend services, have, it's just super high energy games, worship. They're learning memory verses to songs and it really is just an incredible way for your kid to learn about God and I encourage you if you don't have your child involved in a kids ministry your neighbor's kids you have nieces and nephews grandchildren who aren't involved in a kids ministry get them here because what a better way for your kid to learn the word of God than to get it on their level church is awesome but it's directed towards adults upstairs they're going to hear it specifically geared towards them and if you want to stay updated on all that we have going on you can follow our kids zone page or check the weekly email and it'll tell you all about what we're doing in kids zone that week great great how many are going in kindergarten let me see your hand all the kindergartners boy i'm excited for you you're going to have a lot of fun now for the rest of the gang how many is excited about going back to school let me see your hand here all the excited people going to school teachers too now come on teachers how many are not too, quite too excited yet? You're still working on it. Well, listen, I fully understand. We're going to pray for you. Let me say this about your school. Whether you're in elementary, whether you're a junior high, high school, whether you're a teacher, an educator in any capacity, you have a chance to influence people by the way that you live. I believe it was St. Augustine that says, preach the gospel everywhere you go, and when necessary, use words. And the starting place for our Christian life is just simply every day I'm going to let my light shine. And let me tell you how we do that. Number one, anytime you have lunch or have a snack, I guarantee you, and it's a lot of pressure with this, but just bow your head to say thank you, Jesus. Not because you care what people think, but because you want to thank God and recognize Him. Be kind to people that everybody else may not be kind to. Maybe somebody's being bullied in school. Well, why don't you be the one that goes out and becomes their friend? Maybe somebody doesn't have as nice a clothes or, you know, they don't talk well and people laugh at them. You be their friend because that's what Jesus would do. And I want to encourage you, every opportunity you, you have to tell people about Jesus because the same Jesus that loves you loves all your friends and have courage to let your light shine. And when opportunity comes, let people know why because Jesus is your Savior. We want to bless all these kids and educators today. Lift your hands with me towards these folks. Lord, we bless each one today as we go in this new year. I'm grateful for the men and women, Lord, who are willing to give their lives to educate coming generations. I pray that they would be able to, in an increasingly hostile culture, but they would still be able to communicate the light and the love of God. 
I, I bless, Lord, every Christian activity, every Christian ministry that takes place on our campuses and ask you to bless all these children, Lord. Let there be no acts of violence in our schools. Lord, uh, let these kids never operate in a place of fear. Lord, never let there be any violent weather situations. But we pray that you would always watch over and care, Lord, for the schools here in the Arklatex. God, we pray, Lord, that these kids would grow healthy and strong and the light of Christ would shine in their hearts. I pray, Lord, when they hear maybe a science teacher say there is no God or, or the world just kind of evolved and we're not sure how, I pray that something would rise within him, them, the voice of God, saying that there is a creator in the beginning God created, and that's my starting place. I believe that. Bless all these kids and educators in Jesus' name. Anybody said? God bless you guys. You can be seated. Go back. All right, hey, a reminder of a couple things. This Wednesday, we're having a night of praise and worship. Boy, it's a great time on Wednesday night, just kind of extended worship and some ministry time. Also, the following Wednesday, the 24th, free hamburgers. Say free hamburgers. And we have our parade of ministries. That means we have all of our uh, small group leaders come up. They're going to tell you about their groups at a night of fellowship. And so that's coming up in a couple weeks. You know, we're going to continue to worship the Lord with our tithes and our offerings. And in just a moment, we're going to watch a video of our youth that went to camp in Florida. And you're going to see young people being baptized, lives changed. But you know what it took to get them down there? It took a vehicle. And that vehicle takes fuel. How many realize you got to put gas or, uh, in your vehicles? Well, when you give your tithes and offerings, that helps provide things like that, the fuel to get there. But you know what? The church is also a vehicle. It's God's vehicle to make a difference in this world, and it takes fuel. And the, your tithes and your offerings, that's the fuel that helps the church to go on and reach people because we're called to a great commission. It's to reach as many people as possible before it's too late. I'm telling you, hand out those invites, continue to pray, continue to give and support your local church. But let's celebrate together as we watch uh, youth getting baptized and lives change as they were in Florida this year.
Well, that kind of makes me want to be a kid again. What do you think? Hey, turn your Bibles today, Revelation chapter 1. It's an honor to have you with us this morning. There's a lot of great, great churches in our city, and we're thrilled that you've chosen to worship with us today. Revelation chapter 1, I've been doing a series called The Final Chapter. Can you say that with me? The Final Chapter. Life on this earth is like a book, and according to the Bible, we're getting nearer to the end of the book. And this series is about living in the last days. Last week, we started the book of Revelation, and our intent was not to look... We did an overview of all the events to come, but we're not necessarily looking for a sequence. I'm not going to figure out who the Antichrist is. My focus has been on trying to help us figure out how to live in these last days. I can't do anything about, you know, the seven-year tribulation, but I can do something about reaching people for Christ. I can do something about living a godly life. I can do something about enduring tribulation or persecution. So it's a very practical, uh, practical focus. And let's begin Revelation chapter 1 today because today we're talking about this letter in Revelation that initially uh, he talks to seven churches And we'll talk about those churches in a moment, but after the churches, then he kind of looks into the future through these visions. But here's what he says, Revelation 1-9, I, John, this is John the Apostle, your brother and partner in the tribulation, very key, partner in the tribulation and the kingdom, this is God's kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Christ. I was on the island called Patmos. He was exiled there because of his faith in Christ on account of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, long sentence, but in a nutshell, here's what what it's saying. I'm following Jesus just like you are. We're being persecuted. There's trouble because we're Christians. Imagine today, this is the same area in the Middle East today where Christians are being persecuted by Muslims and ISIS and all the tragedy and the hardship that goes on there. Same thing here. But in the early Christian era, Christianity was a minority, Christianity began uh, 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 primarily among not the wealthy, but the ordinary folks just like you and I, and they didn't have power, political influence. It was not a republic uh, with a democratic society like ours. Uh, this was a Roman, uh, a Roman governed world. I mean, the Caesar was, you know, he was the, he was the dictator, as it were. So it's a, very, it's a very awkward time for the early church, a great deal of difficulty, but here's what he says, we're hanging in there. We are patiently enduring, and you'll see that word multiple times, because here's the theme I want you to gather from this morning's message. There's going to be some hardship in my Christian life, but as I walk through it, God's promised to be with me. How many say praise the Lord for that? And I get to the other side, and there's a great reward as I walk with Christ through it. Verse 10, he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And it was, this was not a trance or anything mystical, but that literally means God's Spirit somehow took control. God's Spirit came upon him and showed him visions of the last days. But he showed him these visions, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And this voice said, write what you see. Very key, because this is a prophetic book. It's filled with symbolism, and uh, that's why there's so many different interpretations. But write down what you see. Send it to the seven churches. So now here we are almost 2,000 years later. This book was literally written to seven churches. There was a church at Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. All these churches, and they'll put a map up behind you, they're all in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. 
And if you can see here right in the, well, all the way to the right, you'll see where Jerusalem is, down in the bottom right-hand corner in Israel. So now we're up through the Mediterranean, and you see these little red dots. These are cities. One of these little islands to the left there is the Isle of Patmos, where John was that got the revelation. And more than likely, what he did is he is, is either while he was there or when he was off, he gave this message, this book of Revelation, first to the church in Ephesus, and a messenger took it up to Smyrna, Pergamum, all kind of around the corner. It was a, it was a cyclical letter that was shared. So that's kind of a background. And, and what I want to do this morning is I simply want to tell you what Jesus said, and then hopefully you and I would imitate these virtues, follow after the good things, but the, said, the things he said to correct, that we would say, I'm on board with that too, because Jesus is coming back soon. And that's the message, the second coming of Christ may be nearer than we have imagined. So let's, uh, let's explore it together. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, we're going to talk first about the church at Ephesus. Now, in all of these seven churches, I, I, I use the uh, ESV study Bible. They've got a great little chart there where it was talking about these seven churches. And you can see that virtually every one of these churches, there's first some picture of Jesus. In other words, you'll see the presence of Christ. Then you'll hear a commendation where the Lord's saying, hey, good job. There's some things that you're doing. In five of those churches, there was a rebuke. There was a correction. And then lastly, there was a promise. So we're going to look at two churches this morning, Ephesus and Smyrna. And again, what we're doing is not just a history look. We're trying to see what can I imitate? What was the Lord pleased with that I could do in my life? And what things can we change? Now, Ephesus was uh, arguably the most important city in the Roman province of Asia. It was a huge city. Some believe that it's the most influential Christian church was also in this region or in this area, a city called Ephesus. Some believe that uh, Timothy, who was Paul's assistant, his, his, his associate, that he would become the pastor of Ephesus. Very important city, uh, thriving commerce, a seaport, but it was also a place where there were pagan temples, there was idolatry. Uh, if you read Acts 19, you would see that there were that people coming to Christ and they burned tens of thousands of dollars of magic books. I mean, they had their own versions of Ouija boards and magic and psychics. They would just burn that stuff. Uh, and then there was a riot in the city because they perceived that Paul was preaching Jesus and they were going to lose their trade. So a lot of dynamics going on, but here's kind of how it opens up. And he writes an interesting phrase, uh, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Now, he's not writing to an angel with you know, white wings. This angel was the leader, it was the messenger, it was the representative of the church. In our day, we might say it was, a, it was a senior pastor, it was a bishop, it was an apostle. But it was a recognized leader in that church. And the Lord's saying, I've got a message I'm going to give to this man, and he's going to give it to, to the people, to the church. Uh, the picture of Christ is this, uh, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Now, these seven stars were these messengers, these angel, as angelic, these, uh, these messengers in the church who walks among the seven gold lampstands. You see all this imagery and pictures. Well, a lampstand was, imagine a, a, a metal bowl and it had oil in it with a wick like a candle. And uh, they'd light that candle. How many ladies like these fragrant candles? Come on now. I mean, they're burning everywhere around my, yeah. Well, they had their own version of that. But it, these churches were represented by a burning candle or a burning lampstand, okay? And that's the picture of Christ is, is coming. Now, look at what he says, verse 2. This is the, this is the uh, commendation. 
And as I look in these churches, it underscores for me the understanding of the importance of being connected to a local church. This message was given to a God-ordained leader. And this church had an identity there in the city. People were a part of it. Uh, People didn't go to church on the internet like we do today. But they were a part of a body of believers, of a family of believers. It was the context of the New Testament. But here's some great things he said. First of all, he said, I know your works. Now, what this means is the Lord Jesus is saying, I know what you're doing. I know your Christian service. I know the way you're living your life. I punch your neighbor and say, the Lord knows everything about you. (laughs) Yeah, now that can be really good or really bad. (laughs) But he knows all that we're doing. I mean, you saw that youth video. Well, he knows the bus driver that took time uh, off work to go and, and be down there. He knows those that supported kids to go. Uh, he knows, I mean, listen, he knows uh, all about sacrifices that we make. He knows those, you, you looked and you saw all these kids up here. And like me, praying that the stage didn't, <laughs> it didn't collapse. But he knows all those teachers uh, individually. He knows what they're doing. He knows all our service. He knows all about us. He remembers it. But then he says, I know your toil. And here's the word, your patient endurance. You cannot bear with those who are evil. In other words, you you choose not to live the ungodly life, and you're troubled by those that do. You've particularly tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You know who the false teachers are. And now he says again, I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, for Christ. And again, you have not grown weary. So again, the whole flavor or the undercurrent of the New Testament church was one in which there was challenge, there was difficulty. You know, it was not easy being a Christian, but they found their relationship with God was worth it. They found living for God was worth any difficulty we face. And that's the first thing I want you to walk away with this morning is any hardship that I go through for Christ, the Lord's going to be with me, come on, and He's going to make it worth my while. I I might have to wait a while before it happens. If your spouse is not serving God and, you know, you could get out of the relationship, but, you know, the Lord wants you there for your children, for the restoration of your spouse, for your witness. And it may be hard, but you know what? If you're doing the will of God, come on, the grace of God to do it will be there. I I know your toil, he said. Toil means your persistence, the painful struggles to live the Christian life. Again, imagine those believers that are today living in, in the Middle East. Those believers today that can't gather openly, they can't, you know, publicly, they, they can't even use their own, their real name as they talk about themselves publicly because if they're identified with a Christian, they could lose their life. I mean, it's a, it was a difficult era that were there, but in spite of all this, they looked unto Jesus, come on now, the author and finisher of our faith. They looked to him and they patiently endured. That word is mentioned five times in, 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 these, uh, in these passages, five times. But it also said this, you cannot bear evil men. In other words, you don't tolerate the false teacher. You don't put up with it, and you test those that are false. The message for me in this is, is I want to need to be careful what spiritual leader I follow. I mean, no, not everybody with this card that says I'm a bishop is a real bishop. (laughs) I mean, no, not everybody that has the Bible, come on, not everybody on Christian TV is preaching the truth. Even in the biblical era, there were those that would preach what itching ears wanted to hear. It was, it was a message like in today, and you can almost hear it sometimes on the radio and the TV and other places, where it's almost like it's just the good things of Christianity. 
Come on, it's just like I, I, I'm, I'm going through the fruit salad and I'm picking out the cherries. Come on, and I'm picking out the, I'm picking out the fresh peaches, but, but I don't want the pineapple. And I don't want, it's like I, I pick and choose. But how many know Paul said, I'm going to preach to you the whole gospel? I'm going to talk about all of it. I'm not just going to preach only about good things, nor am I only going to preach about the tough things, the challenges. I'm going to talk to you about all of it, and I'm going to show you how to walk with Christ. So they knew the true from the false. And let me suggest to you, the basis of understanding or knowing a, 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 a true Christian leader is not in how charismatic they are, but it's in their character. What I tell the pastors on our staff is the first top thing on your job description is to live a godly life. Listen, we may not be perfect, and we're not talking about sinless perfection, but my character, come on now, living accordance to the standards of the Bible are more important, come on, than the gifts and the outward things that people see. A lot of people are, are impressed by the diamond. They're impressed by, you know, the type of car, or do they have an airplane, or all these type things. What impresses me is a man or a woman, come on, that's been godly and godly for a long time, that's still married to the same woman, married to the same man, raising godly children. And day after day, year after year, these people are faithful to God. That's the heart, I think, of, of Christian leadership. Now, what he did basically in this passage is he was patting them on the back. He was saying, great job. But then he says this, verse 4, here's the rebuke. And this is from Jesus. Jesus said, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Some translations say, says that you've left your first love or you lost your first love. We're going to talk about that. And here was, his, here was his, his suggestion. He said, I want you to remember where you were before you fell, before you backslid, before this area of your heart grew cold, and I want you to repent. It's a missing word from modern-day Christianity. It means to turn away from and begin to follow God's ways and do the works you did at first. Good works. Listen, punch your neighbor and say, good works are important. Not too hard. Listen, some of you are just, come on, giving the bang. Don't do that. Now, you made me lose my train of thought. What was I talking about? Yeah, good works are important. Remember, the, do the works you did at first. Christianity is more than believing, though believing is the basis. Christianity is more than a weekend service. But it's the life we live for Christ. Do these good works because if you don't, I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place. The lampstand was the picture of the church unless you repent. Now, the problem is Jesus doesn't tell us what he's doing with the lampstand. We're going to talk about it in just a second, though, but how many know that doesn't sound good? So this is something that we want to correct. Now, when Jesus said he disapproved of the fact that we've lost our first love or abandoned it, what could he mean? There used to be, uh, I was aware of two primary interpretations of this, but I'm going to give you four potential options for this. It, let me know if the Bible is not clear. We want to be careful where, how clear we are. But I'm going to give you four potentials. The most important is they could have lost their love for Christ. Now, these were second-generation Christians, these Ephesians. There's about 55 years after Christ was crucified, perhaps a bit longer. They're second-generation. And let me know sometimes a second generation Christian can go to church, come on, just like my kids did. I, I was a first generation. I, I was born again. I was saved. I had a radical transformation. My kids didn't have the same comparison. They were raised in church, raised with the Bible, raised with the things of the Spirit. But how many know just because you're raised with it doesn't mean it's yours? 
you can have the knowledge of God, you can even believe the doctrines of God and even do things because you were taught to do them, but your heart has never fallen in love with Jesus. And this is why my, the main thing I try to do in every service is talk about loving the Lord with all your heart because there's nothing more important in Christianity than your relationship with Christ. The second possibility is the love they'd abandoned was their love for other Christians. Uh, any, anyone have any Christians that you're not too, uh, too fond of? Any, any, any people that you're going through the grocery store or through the Walmart and you see them coming down the aisle and you uh, 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 accidentally forgot something on the other aisle, you're going to skip that aisle? Come on now, you understand what I'm talking about. Maybe maybe been times in life where you just kind of avoided a road to drive around because you just didn't want to go to their house. Well, now whether it's something like that, but sometimes we just don't treat one another as the body of Christ. You know the command to love one another is the second great commandment Jesus said, love your neighbors yourself. But it's the most frequently observed command in the New Testament about how we treat other Christians is to love one another. The third thing it could have been is our love for lost people. And here's why I say that. That is the Great Commission. But you remember the churches were lampstands and lamps? What's a lamp's primary purpose? To give light. What, what did Jesus call us to do? To be, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Let your light shine. And it's just possible that they were not being deliberate about letting their light shine uh, to, to those that needed Christ. And lastly, it could be that their love or their passion for their call to be a prophetic witness to the world had died down. Now, I say that because in Revelation 11, you remember the two prophets that are going to be on the earth one day? They're prophesying in Jerusalem. They're going to be killed and raised from the dead, a part of the book of Revelation. Well, you know what these two men are called? They're called lampstands. And can I suggest to you what I believe is the great problem of the American church today is the church has lost her passion for her prophetic voice, for her witness for Christ in a wayward world. It's almost like we go along to get along. The world gets kind of worse and worse, and we say, well, that's okay, we'll do that too. The Bible's very clear, could not be clearer about marriage, but yet the, even, even churches broaden the, uh, the, the inclusiveness of who marriage is or what marriage is, is supposed to be. It's almost like we've lost our cutting edge of righteousness. And how many know we can hold truth and not be self-righteous? We don't want to be bigoted. But at the same time, we want to have the thus saith the Lord. So all these are possible. But this idea, what he said, he said, wherever you're off in these things, I want you to repent, remember, and I want you to turn around. Don't just feel bad about it, but start doing what you need to be doing. Here's how I apply the Bible, and here's how I take notes. Uh, uh, the notes to this message, by the way, are online. In, uh, you could have your iPad here or phone and be going along. But I, I want to write down, what can I do with this? And if the Holy Spirit's just quickened to me that, that I'm not really sharing my faith or, or I've got people that I'm not treating in a loving fashion, I'd write myself a little note, and, and I would make a change. But now, this idea of removing your lampstand I don't believe it's equivalent to losing your salvation. But what, what it likely is, is it could it mean the end of this community of believers is a church. That is, the church was the lampstand, and if their light was not shining, they ceased to exist. The tragedy in Europe today, the, the birthplace of the Great Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, these great, uh, these great cathedrals were built. Well, today, many are bingo halls or Muslim temples. I mean, you understand what I'm talking about today. It's like Christianity died, and that church lost its lampstand. How many know that could happen in America? Well, we're in a post-Christian era in America today, but there could be a revival in America. See, that's what we want is an awakening, but the church can lose her light and her zeal and her passion. 
Thank God church history tells us that in the 4th or 5th century, Christianity was alive in Ephesus. There was a great church council. But a historian says today, if you look at the city of Ephesus, it's not even there. There's no great metroplex. It's a small Islamic village, and there is no Christian witness there. So somehow the lampstand has gone out. Now look at verse, uh, verse 6, though. Here's the promise. After this one rebuke, he said this. Hey, there's another good thing. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans. Now, Nicolaitans, uh, followers of Nicholas, it didn't say you hate the Nicolaitans. How many know as Christians we shouldn't hate anyone? How many know my starting place is we're all members of the human race? Come on. And I don't care what your sexual orientation is. I don't care you know, what your race is. I don't care what your past is. Listen, you're created in God's image. Come on, and you have value. Listen, if you've been on the front page of our newspaper, come on in an orange jumpsuit. What you've done may be wrong. There may be civil consequences, but God still loves you. Come on in your orange outfit. And love does not mean either God or our society has to approve of actions that are clearly wrong, but at the basis of who we are in the dark, God still loves me even when I don't do lovable things. You hate, though, the works of the Nicolaitans. Now, again, one, uh, one scholar suggested, though it's not fully clear what this means, but this was a group of Christians that were saying, it's okay to participate at some level in their idolatrous culture. Mind you now, they had temples. These temples had pagan prostitutes. And who knows what that meant, whether it was eating food that was offered to idols, whether it was participating in their, in their, in their feasts, whatever it was. But here's the message in that. There's just lines as a Christian that I don't cross. There's some uh, funny emails that I'm not going to send. There's some things that I'm not going to post on Facebook. Uh, are you with me today? There's some comments I'm not going to make. There's some places I'm not going to go. There's some movies I'm not going to see. There's some music I'm not going to listen to. Uh, uh, listen, there are some places I'm not going to go with you as my friend. And if you can't respect that, then we can't be as close friends as we used to be. Come on. But I'm not going to let you to take me places that are going to hurt my Christian witness and hurt my faith and bring me back into a lifestyle of sin. See, this is missing too in the church today. We can still love all people as Jesus did, but not walk, come on, in the places of darkness. Because listen, if you walk in it long enough, you're going to do it. I'm telling you from experience. I, I, I was a worldly person in my late teenage years, and I was taught not to drink. My grandfather was an alcoholic. Granddaddy one night drove the truck into the house, come on, because he couldn't put his foot on the brake. But I, I know what it's like to be in the ninth grade riding in a car with a bunch of seniors after playing on the district championship and losing the game and going by the beer store. I know the feeling and the pressure. You may be in the car the first time because you couldn't help it, but you got a choice on the second time. I'm telling you, friends, be careful because the world will suck you up. And if you're not careful, you could be like the church of the Laodiceans and become so lukewarm that Jesus said, I'll spit you out of my mouth. But notice the rest of this. He said, he who has an ear, listen or hear what the Spirit says to the church. To the one who conquers. Now, this is a key word. Uh, your, your King James says, to the one who overcomes. 
This is a military term, not calling you to pull out your pistol and shoot people, but it's causing you to recognize you're in a fight against darkness. You're in a fight against evil, and you need to resist it, and you need to win, because if you conquer, I'm going to let you eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. Come on now. That's in heaven ultimately one day, but the tree of life was in Genesis. That's what God said. If you eat this tree, you'll die. How many know that same tree is in, is in Revelation 22? And when we eat that tree, come on, we're going to live eternally. And that's what Jesus is saying to the Ephesian church. I've got eternal life for you guys. Listen, I've got something that's going to be so great you can't even imagine. But while you're living life on this earth, if you're going through hardship, you endure it as a good soldier in Christ. Come on, you live for me. You stand for me. You love God. You love your neighbor. You love the lost. You, you let your life be a prophetic witness to the world. Listen, if you've lost something in your heart, get it back. Because one day, friends, eternity awaits us. And that's the message to the Ephesian church. Come on, give him a big hand today. Let me look quickly at the church in Smyrna. It's in verse 8, and it's about 35 miles up the coast from Ephesus. He writes again to the angel, the leader, the messenger of the church. And I, you can see John writing this down and giving it to one of his associates and said, I want you to take this to Smyrna and him going and finding out where the church is meeting and, and putting it in the hands of its leader. And here's what he says, the words of the first and the last. Who's that? It's Jesus. See, the Bible says Jesus is the eternal God. He was and is and is to come. Jesus is Almighty God who died and came to life. Say that again. Died and came to life. We learned last week he's the firstborn from the dead. But he said these words, I believe, because he wanted to encourage these believers because these believers, in a greater measure than Ephesus, were being persecuted for their faith. It was tough in Ephesus, but it was harder here. Listen to what he said in verse 9. He said, I know your tribulation. I know the troubles, which simply means Christ knows about my sufferings. Christ hears when you pray. Christ hears you. Listen, friend, he knows what you're going through. He is with you in the midst of it. I know your tribulation and your poverty. Now, there's two Greek words for poverty. This implies the most severe form of poverty. I mean, in America, if you're under the poverty line, whatever it is, 30,000 or so, you'll still have a cell phone. Are you with me? You'll still have heat and air and food to eat. But these were people, like many of our brothers and sisters today in the Middle East, that have lost their homes, that have lost their jobs and lost family members because they wouldn't renounce Christ. And they don't have anything. That's where they are. I've often struggled with this as a, as a believer. Some of the men that I've known in my lifetime that have done the greatest works for God lived through the greatest struggles. There was a man, his name was Dr. Titus. He used to come years ago. He, he, he died in his early 60s from diabetes. But he was a Ph.D. educated man in, 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 in Dallas. Oh, he's making probably over 100,000 40 years ago. And, and, and he had left India, but God called him to go back. Well, when he and his wife went there with nothing, and today they're feeding a 1,000 kids every day. They've got a, a school for these kids. They have raised up and trained more people in, in, with legitimate Bible degrees, master's degrees, and theological seminary than virtually any other ministry in that part of the world. I mean, it was a tremendous work. 
but he would have to get on an airplane in bad health and come to America and literally beg for rice to be able to feed those kids. And I would struggle with that. Listen, and I cannot answer to you why evil things happen, but I will simply tell you this. In this passage, we're going to see Satan was connected with the hardship. Satan was right there to knock them down, to step on them, to try to get them to quit. And the same one that tried to get Dr. Titus to quit, come on, is the same one that tries to get you and I to quit. Listen to what they said. I know your poverty... But you're rich. So what did that mean? That they had a high limit on their credit card? No. James 2.5 gives us an indication. James, the brother of Jesus, said, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom promised to those who love Him? Now, does that mean poor people are better than rich people have got? No way. But what it means is this. When you don't have something, when you're in need you do a whole lot more praying. You're going to walk closer to God. Come on, if you're on your last $100 than if you've got a bill full of $100 bills. Listen, you know it. You've lived it in your own life. When you've got plenty, when you've got a lot, listen, you can forget about praying sometimes. You need to. But listen, when I'm struggling, when my daughter, listen, my daughter becomes the cheerleader and I don't have the $800, come on, and your little girl is there. I mean, no, it's hard to say to your little girl, you're going to say no to her. You're going to do a little more serious praying. And there is not nobility. It doesn't mean there's nobility in poverty, but what it means is poverty can open a door for a greater dependence on God. And James says it can cause you to be rich in faith. So don't ever be disillusioned and mad at God because you, you are where you are. Come on. Accept where you are as a starting place. Find God in the midst of it and let God take you to a better place. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Now listen, it says... I know your tribulation and poverty and the slander. These are people who speak evil words against you, Facebook or otherwise. I know the slander of those that, that say they're Jews, but they're not. They're of the synagogue of Satan. Now that's harsh. What it's saying is these Jews had rejected Christ, had become pawns in the hand of Satan to be able to persecute the church. It's like the pictures that you see of ISIS around the world. Uh, and it's virtually every day now somewhere where somebody with a knife, a gun, a machete, or firebomb, somebody is saying, Allah Akbar, come on now, and they're trying to kill infidels. It's happening everywhere. But this is, this is what they're saying is Satan was motivating religious people to hurt the true church. That's exactly what, what, uh, what, uh, what John said, what Jesus said. If you don't like it, take it up with Jesus, not me. But in four of the churches in Revelation, Satan is pictured as being behind this type thing. And I want you to understand that because, see, the Bible says we don't fight against flesh and blood, which means it, 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 the person is not the problem. It's the spirit that's influencing the person. And just because I can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. This is why I can love people who are doing terrible things because I know they've been influenced, come on, by the de devil, whether in temptation or whether in rousing anger or whatever the case is. But now let's move on. You remember I said, suggested the churches had a rebuke? After the commendation, there was a rebuke? Well, guess what the rebuke was in Smyrna? Nothing. They had been faithful to God. And how many know that you and I can live a life? I'm talking about a perfect life. I'm not talking about a life of sinless perfection and you never mess up. But I'm talking about a life, come on, that your heavenly Father smiles at. 
I'm talking about a life that's lived each day where the Lord's got a smile on his face. And just like he said of Job, look at my servant. Look at my servant, Mariah. Come on. Look at my servant, Steve. Look at my servant, Jason. Look at my servant, Dorothy. Listen, they're living the life they should be living. God sees, friend. He's watching what we do. And he was pleased at these guys, though they were having to suffer because of their stand for Christ. There's no rebuke for them. And is it just possible that maybe their sufferings help them become stronger Christians? Is it just possible that if we live in the pablum stage of life as believers, that, that, that we'll miss the strength that comes when there's some tension against your Christian faith? If you have muscles, you know that, that that's why you lift weights is for tension. It's a breaking down, but the breaking down is also a building up. And it could be that God will allow you to go through some difficulty in life because He wants to make you a better you. That God's not seeing how much you can endure. He doesn't want to hurt you. Listen, but God is there and He's using what Satan intended for harm. God turns it around for good. Come on, somebody say, say praise the Lord. Now let's wrap up. Here's what he said in verse 10. The challenge, don't fear what you're about to suffer. Now I struggle when the Bible says, it literally means don't be afraid. Because I have seasons in my life where I struggle with fear. Anybody else? Here's the only thing I can tell you. If you draw near to God, God draws near to you. And if God, you're closer to God, God's going to get bigger and your fear is going to get littler. You'll be able to do what you couldn't do before because something happens on the inside. It's just like charging a battery. You can hold that battery next to the electric plug all you want to. You can wave it. You can do somersaults with it. But until you plug that battery in, come on, to the recharger, it's not going to have the capacity, come on, to lighter to make something move. But once it gets a charge, it's able to stand against the thing that it fears and walk in it in spite of the fact that its heart's beating a little fast. Are you with me today? This is what the Bible says. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Don't stop believing because of what you're suffering. He said this. He said, the devil, again, is going to throw some of you in prison, and you'll be tested. It's going to last for about 10 days you'll have this tribulation, which means it's going to be a short period of time. It's not going to be forever. How many know that's good news? But I want to encourage you to look at your hardship as a spiritual test. It doesn't matter why it's happening, but it matters whether I pass the test. Come on now. And some people, listen, I used to just be so mad at people in, when I was in college who didn't have to study at all or high school. Come on, you know the type. But you, you know, uh, we would have to just study for hours and hours. And Sometimes it's, it's, it's more difficult to face the test, but the object is still to do whatever is necessary to pass it. Because here's the message as we close. There's a blessing on the other side of this. Here's what he said, verse 10. You be faithful even if it's unto death. And I'm going to give you, say it with me, the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit say unto the church. The one who conquers, the one who overcomes, will not be hurt by the second death. And you know what the second death is, friend? It's eternal judgments. So what the Lord's saying to the Ephesians is what he's saying to you and I today. If you're living for Christ, come on. If you patiently endure your hardships, if you get through the other side, eternity is awaiting for you. Come on. There's a blessing on the other side, and it'll all be worth it. Give him a big praise today. The promise of the conqueror. And I'll close with these verses. James, the brother of Jesus, said the same thing. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. 
Listen, we've heard this multiple times today. We're going to close in just a moment with prayer. Our prayer team will come back. But maybe this is resonating with you. Maybe you're in a trial. Maybe you're under a test. And you didn't get prayer earlier. Or maybe you did and you want to come back. But you simply want to come and just say, I want you to pray for me. I want to pass the test. There's a resolve in our heart when we make these connections. James said when you persevere under trial, you stood the test. That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Peter said this, and this is my last scripture. When Jesus, the chief shepherd, appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. How many are living for that crown? Yeah, I am too. I am too. Why don't you stand to your feet with me today? Jesus is worthy of our praise. I want you to stand to your feet, and before you kind of check out and think about lunch and all that, would you just give God just a moment, and would you just bow your heads just a second and say, okay, Lord, what does this mean to me? What does this mean to my life? Because church is more than a history lesson. It's more than some Bible facts. It's how shall I live based on what I've heard? For all of us, Lord, we're more aware of the fact that you know our works. You know not only our actions in serving you, our lack thereof, but you know our behavior. You know the life we're living. For all of us that are here, I believe our heart says, Lord, I want to be an imitator of what I heard was good. I want to be able to endure hardship. I, I want to love you with all my heart. If I'm not loving my neighbor as myself, I want to do that. If, I, if I've lost a real love for lost people, I want to have it back. If I've ceased to let my voice, my prophetic voice be heard, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to correct what's broken. I want to fix what's wrong and do what's right. Because you're coming back soon. I want to be ready. I want to be living the life you come when you come. Help me, Holy Spirit. I want you to just say yes. What I would believe with my head bowed right now, that any things that are coming to mind, any thoughts, any impressions, any scriptures coming to mind could well be the Holy Spirit. Because God's bound to trying to pull you to a better place. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. While your heads are still bowed, just a moment. I wonder if you're here today and say, Pastor, my biggest problem is I, I, I'm not even a Christian. I'm not even walking with God. And what I need to do today is I need to get right with God. I've not been living the life that I need to be living. I need to get saved today. Maybe you're here today and say, Pastor, I used to walk with God, but I, I, I just quit. And I want to get back today. I want to recommit my life to Christ. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to get my life right with God. I want to leave this place knowing that my sins are forgiven, knowing that I've got a fresh start with God, knowing that I'm following my Heavenly Father, and I'm going His way and not mine. I want to pray today, and I want to commit my life to Christ. If that's you, just raise your hand. Now, nobody else has business today, but if that's you, just wave your hand at me today. Yeah, I, I, I see your hand. Others, God bless you, sir. Others, God bless you, ma'am. Others, so just wave your hand at me. God bless you in the back there. Others today, just say, pray for me. I, I, I want to commit my life to Christ today. Any that's here today say, Pastor, I've gotten away from God, but I, I want to commit my life to Jesus. Come on, wave your hand at me today. I've gotten away. God bless you. I see your hand. I see your hand too. Yeah. All right, here's how we're going to close in prayer. I'm going to ask our prayer team. They're going to come forward, and the altars are open for any type of prayer. We'll sing one song, and they'll dismiss you. 
But I particularly want to ask you, if you're willing, you that raised your hands, we'd like to personally pray with you. I don't want anything from you. Uh, uh, we're not asking you to join our church. But what I would encourage you to do is whatever caused you to raise your hand and say, I need Jesus, I want to commit my life to him, I want you to take the next step. And if you're willing to do that, we will not embarrass you, but someone will meet you over at this cross. They want to pray with you personally, and then they want to give you some information that's going to help you live the Christian life. This could be the most important step of your life. We're going to begin to play right now. Go ahead and begin to sing. Our prayer team is coming to the front. And as the prayer team is coming, if you want prayer for anything, you come on up. But you that were making some commitment to Christ, let someone pray with you. Come on, give them one more big hand here, those that are committing their life to Christ. You come, let us pray. We'll meet you at the cross. prayer team's going to remain around front. They'll be happy to pray with you about anything you've got going on. Hey, but before you're dismissed, I just want to remind you that Wednesday night, we're having a night of prayer and worship. We'd love to have you come be a part. But hey, you're free to be dismissed. We look forward to seeing you guys next week. God bless you.